listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there. Thanks so much for taking some time to check out the Monday Christian Podcast. Hope that it's of help to you, especially during this COVID-19 season. And if there's one word that I've heard during this season, it's been the word anxiety. And that's something that a lot of people have been struggling with, whether it's work-related or, or staying at home all day with your kids and trying to homeschool them, <laughs> as, as that uh, we see the possibility of that with some schools not opening in the fall. Uh, a lot of challenges. And so how do you deal with anxiety? And that's several weeks ago. Uh, my friend Ryan Waters, who is a licensed counselor in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, I saw a post that he did and uh, uh, connected with his church on Facebook and how he was just sharing um, about some practical ways that we could tackle anxiety and, and better help ourselves in, uh, if we're struggling with this. And so I thought, man, let's bring him on and let's get his viewpoint. And so I've known Ryan for quite a while, and we went to school together, as I'll share, and I just think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And so without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. My guest on the podcast this week is Ryan Waters, and I've known Ryan uh, for a number of years. We went to school together back in the day. Way and, back. Uh, way back in the day. I know. It just it feels weird. The older that you get, um, looking back, it's like college years and all that stuff. Just It feels strange. I, I think it always hits with me whenever I see someone who's in college or university now, and I'm like, wait, you should not be in college or university, so... <laughs> That's when it always gets sure. for me, but uh, I guess Ryan and, and myself, we've uh, we've grown up a little bit. I don't know how much, but uh, we, we've <laughs> grown up at least a little bit, and uh, Ryan has a master's in counseling and is a licensed professional counselor uh, at Counseling Alliance Cincinnati, and kind of the whole reason, Ryan, I wanted to bring you on, several weeks ago, I just saw a post, I think, from your church about mm-hmm. uh, a little interview that you did on uh, the topic of anxiety. And uh, during this whole COVID-19 season, I know anxiety has been a big word for a lot of people, uh, just for, for different reasons. And mm-hmm. so first off, man, thanks so much for taking some time to come and cover this topic on the podcast. Absolutely. Glad to. It's definitely a, a needed topic that to, to be discussed. Yeah, for sure. So I always start with this question. Um, how did you first come to faith in Christ? What, what did your faith journey look like? Yeah, so I grew up in a, a conservative Christian home. And so always kind of grew up in the atmosphere of Christianity. Uh, and I internalized it as my own when I was about 13. And that was the time when I kind of realized at a very deep and profound level, my own inability to be a good enough person or to control what I really wanted to, to see in my life and realized I needed a divine a divine assistance to step in and uh, solve a problem that I really couldn't. So I reached out to Christ as my Savior and have been on a, a journey with Him ever since. What took you into counseling? So I went to uh, Bible college, when we both went to, God's Bible school. And while I was there, I fell in love with theology. And so 
uh, I joined the ministerial education program and it was probably my sophomore junior year that I began feeling a deep desire to see someone integrate psychology and theology because I didn't look around and see a lot of people doing that. And when I saw the needs that were around me, um, I thought, man, someone needs to really step into that void and find a way to integrate uh, faith and, and counseling in a way that uh, can allow people to get the help that they really need and ultimately flourish into the people God created them to be. And so that was really kind of one of my uh, main hopes and goals in going into the field was to integrate that faith and psychology piece in a way that would allow people to really flourish into the image God created them to be. Yeah. You know, for some Christians, I've heard this not too often, but a few times, uh, that psychology is almost a dirty word, right? It's it's almost, mm-hmm. they would view it as a substitute for a faith. Um, yeah. How do you view the mixture of your faith and psychology? Yeah. So the Church has taught for thousands of years that God is the originator of truth. And so I think that we really don't need to fear truth properly understood, because if God is truly the originator of it, he's not going to be inconsistent. And it's more of just a matter of how are we missing it when we see those things that give us pause. And so when I I, I hear um, those folks who have concerns about counseling or psychology, and there's, there's some good reason for that. When you look back through the field of psychology, you have some people who are very anti-faith and were uh, not just ignoring faith, but actively warring against it. And so I, I understand where that's coming from, but at the same time, I don't want to ignore truth when I see it, because I think we do ourselves and the people that we're serving a uh, disjustice, injustice when we do that. Um, so how I make sense to that, again, is going back to uh, Understanding special revelation, scripture, is the foundation, the clearest foundation that we have to understand who God is and what he desires. And then general revelation, which is where I put the field of psychology, is a, a hand baden to that. And I don't want to jettison all that that has to offer just because I'm of fear. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, you... Um... You've been a counselor now for how many years? See, I was licensed in 2014, I believe it was, so around six years. What what types of patients do you primarily work with? What's What are the big issues? Yeah. So I focus on three main things in my practice. I do a fair amount of marriage counseling, so working with a lot of couples around a variety of issues. Uh the second thing I focus on is what's called developmental trauma. And just a quick, a quick note on that. So you have what sometimes you call big T trauma, which is a car accident or soldier on a battlefield or witness some kind of horrific event. And certainly that qualifies as trauma. You also have what's called little T trauma, which is kind of the death by a thousand cuts. And this is prof- uh, profound neglect or emotional abuse uh, that's more covert, 
when we don't really get the nurture that we need and how that shows up later in life. And it's called little t, not because it's less significant, but just because it's harder to identify. It can be just as profoundly debilitating later in life. And I need that really to dig into... Sorry, and this is that. this is like the B, this is like the BBC. You, you know, you, you ever see that interview where that guy and, and then the toddler walks in, in the yes. back, and then immediately that's Absolutely. the moment that, that where it turns viral. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's happening. All we need right now is for your wife to like creep in behind on her hands creep and knees, in. and then everything would be set. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so. how, how big is anxiety? Uh, how big is the practice of like we talked about anxiety? Um, is that a big thing that people coming into your practice that they, that they struggle with? Absolutely. And really everyone or anxiety is always going to come up in some way, whether or not it reaches the state of being kind of clinically diagnosable or debilitating. Sure. Not everyone comes in to that, uh, that far along the spectrum, but the reality of it is anxiety shows up for everybody in some way. And so learning how to manage the discomfort that comes from that and uh, to cope with that anxiety in a way that ultimately moves them forward is a part of the discussion at every turn. How has COVID sh- shifted everything? Has that, um, you know, have you yeah. seen an uptick or is that just not, not so much? Yeah, I definitely have seen an uptick and uh, there's something about, uh, people can handle that anxiety for a short period of time, but when it goes on unhindered or mm. when there's no end in sight, it really starts to weigh on folks over time. Interesting. Um, and so the other area that I focus on, this is connected is sex addiction. And so I deal a lot with those working through some kind of unwanted sexual behavior that they can't just get on top of like a porn addiction or some mm. other kind of sexual addiction. And so that anxiety is really connected with that and can cause a lot of slips and relapses along the way if the folk, if the person is not managing that appropriately. Interesting. You know, for the person that's never gone to a counselor, I think, I think the idea of counseling can be very, um, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know if scary is the right word, but just kind of intimidating or it almost, it feels like, okay, I've got a massive problem here if you're going to a counselor, <laughs> you know, it can, it can tend to have that yeah. kind of type of feeling. Um, so how do you op- help people overcome those barriers if someone's watching or listening and there's, you know, maybe their spouse has been bugging them a little bit and saying, hey, you know, you need to get on on top of this because you've struggled with this issue. We're going to deal with anxiety specifically in a few minutes, but you've struggled with this issue for several years and, y- you know, I'd love for you to do something about it, but they're very resistant and they're just saying, ah, you know, I, I don't know if that's really for me. What would you say to a person like that? Sure. Well, I definitely would do as much as I can to kind of break down the stereotype that you just have to be really messed up, quote unquote, in order for uh, to, to go see a counselor. And that's just not reality. Truth is, when you walk into the counseling room, you're walking into someone who is deeply compassionate, empathetic, uh, is is desiring to be an advocate for you. They're in your corner. There's someone who has walked a lot of journeys with a lot of different folks. And so that perspective allows them to apply what they see to your life and see some ways that you can, that they can help you flourish and grow 
in ways that may be hard for you to identify on your own because you kind of get lost in that echo chamber of your own reality. Mm. And so finding someone who's safe, professional, and, and caring can be a really great opportunity to help you grow and mature. So yeah. uh, rather than you're walking into someone who's going to look at you pensively, scratch their beard and say, you know, like, what's wrong with you? That's not, at least that shouldn't be the experience of any, any counseling relationship. It should be you walking into someone who is deeply concerned about seeing you live up to your greatest potential. Yeah, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's, let's talk anxiety. And before we do, if you've got a question, you're watching this online and you have a question, um, send it in to, you can private message or you can, um, as anonymous, or you can leave a comment below. And, and for a lot of people, this isn't going to necessarily be, maybe it is about them, but maybe it's not. Maybe they just have a general question. So when we read it, we're not going to just assume we're dealing with you. Uh, maybe, you know, you just have a general question on the topic. So, um, mm -hmm. feel free to leave those in the comment section and I'll try to get to them. Um, so anxiety, let, let's deal specifically, uh, with this. Um, uh, what are the different types of anxiety, the, the major types that you would say? Yeah, so anxiety shows up in several different ways. It can show up as phobias. So probably the, one of the more common ones is called agoraphobia, which is kind of a fear of, of being in public spaces or around large crowds, that kind of thing. Taken mm -hmm. to an extreme, it can cause someone just to not want to leave their home and to stay kind of cloistered away. And uh, that can be really debilitating. Uh, it also shows up in things like panic attacks, which if you've never had one, feels like a tornado in your body. Hmm. And uh, it, the symptoms mimic very closely that of a heart attack. So your heart starts racing, you have pain up and down the, the left side of your, your body, uh, tightness in your chest, you're sweating, it, it feels like it's wrecking havoc inside of you. Interesting. Um, you can also have something that's called generalized anxiety disorder, which is uh, kind of just on a global scale, you wrestle with anxiety and it can feel like there's this impending sense of doom that you just can't identify, but you mm -hmm. carry around kind of expecting the worst to happen. And so uh, and you can have a lot of, similar symptoms in that you can have a higher heart rate. Um, your blood pressure tends to be much higher. You have higher levels of cortisol and adrenaline in your system. And over the long haul, whenever you have those higher levels of cortisol and adrenaline, they tend to severely complicate already or pre-existing conditions like, uh, let's say, IBS or Crohn's disease or heart disease. Um, they're, they're strongly correlated with an amplification of symptoms on, on that scale. Well, so, so let me just pause you then. For the person that is, like, when do people typically start having anxiety attacks? Is it often triggered by an event, or does it start earlier on in life? Maybe they don't identify it, and then it pops up again later on in life, and they're like, okay, I've been struggling with this for a while. How, does, how do people often come to that realization, man, okay, I'm really struggling with anxiety. Yeah. I've talked to several folks who didn't know what to call it, even though they were dealing with the symptoms of it. And so it wasn't until they had a name to put to it that they were really able to step forward and get some of the help that they needed. Uh, 
as far as when do they seek out that help, it's different for each person. But typically, um, if you were to put it in very general terms, whenever their ability to cope it supersedes, the, or I should say the level of pain supersedes their ability to cope. And so they just can't take it anymore. And so they realize whatever this looks like, whatever's going to have to happen, I need someone to help me walk through um, this part of my journey because I just can't keep up with the, you know, the level of, of pain that I'm in right now. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Let me just ask another question kind of along that line. You know, I think if let's, – let's deal specifically with COVID-19, all right? So people are – struggling with anxiety and, and feeling what, what are the big things that you have noticed when people come to you and, and it's, they're struggling with, you know, during this season? Yeah. So whenever I, um, with COVID-19 in particular, it's been really interesting because the, some of the things that you would typically encourage someone to do are off limits. Like a lot of, social contact for someone who, uh, let's say, needs uh, contact as a way to oh, have a safe listening ear for someone to help carry that anxiety with them. Mm-hmm. And so it has shifted the kinds of things and the ways they're dealing with anxiety. Having said that, certainly not uh, impossible, just different. And so some of the things that I've been encouraging folks to do specifically during COVID-19 are uh, find safe, supportive friends, either that they can contact in person, or even if it's through Zoom, Skype, whatever it may be, that they can have regular conversations with. Because when an anxiety is uh, not expressed in a way that's meaningful or helpful, and you just carry it internally, it tends to, back to that echo chamber piece, just keep bouncing off the walls inside of us and amplifies until it comes out sideways or explode some way. Right, right. Uh, so find someone safe that can help carry that. And I'm reminded of um, uh, the scripture which says, bear ye one another's burdens and self-fulfill mm. the law of Christ. I mm. think community was God's idea. Yeah. Uh, and so community is one of the great ways that you can help carry that. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Like, So last week I wrote a piece on uh, depression on, on my blog. I, I've struggled with that over the years. And, and just some mm-hmm. of the helpful things that have been helpful to me over the years. And, and that was one of the points I made at the end was that, that you know, bear you one another's burdens. There's something powerful about that. I, and, and I, you know, maybe taking it a little off course here, one of the things that for me personally that has been helpful is like when people have come alongside me during, you know, for me, depression um, times mm-hmm. and said, Hey, listen, I'm going to be praying for you extra tonight. And like, and so if you're struggling, like I'm going to stop what I'm doing, take some time and like bear your burden with you. And that, that's just like been incredibly meaningful to me. Like what, what are some ways that maybe you've seen that play out and that, you know, tips you would give for ways that people could do that? Yeah, Absolutely. Well, one is to stay, I like to use the word attuned. You stay attuned to the people who are in your life and that you care about. And you notice when things are a little off. And you offer opportunity to help carry that burden with them. So that can be as simple as walking up to someone and saying, hey, I notice you seem uh, a little off today or things seem a little, you seem a little anxious. Is, am I picking up on that? Am I reading that right? Or, or what's going on? And then you give them opportunity to respond. 
and uh, I, I'll make a quick distinction here. I like the, using the word partnering instead mm -hmm. of taking responsibility because ultimately you can't force someone to open up. You can't take responsibility for their overall well-being, but you can come alongside and offer opportunity. And so I think that's our role and what that passage is talking about there. You're offering opportunity to carry their burden with them. Yeah. Um, and so stay attuned, look for times and ways that you can come alongside. And of course, offering prayer is a fantastic way to do that. Um, a couple of other things that I would think about is just keeping tabs on them, checking in to see how they're doing. If there are logistical things that can be done to help lower anxiety levels, taking something off their plate, uh, mm -hmm. childcare so that they can have some time to decompress and, and journal and do some other positive self-care practices. But yeah, that's definitely things you can do to come alongside. You know, let's talk about medication for a few minutes. Um, sure. The idea of taking medication for anxiety is, for some people, is just like a no-no. You know, they're, they're not going to go there. For others, um, maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum, they're willing to try anything. And so, um, you know, perhaps they can develop too strong, you know, attraction to it. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you deal with when someone's coming in and they're consistently struggling with anxiety? How do you deal with that? I know you're not a doctor, so, but sure. how, how do you generally counsel people when it comes to medication? Yeah. So I think it's important to understand that anxiety is also a very physiological event, not just psychological, not just spiritual. And so the, it comes down to the way our body is designed to handle anxiety. So let me go kind of give a overview here. God designed our bodies to handle threats. Um, you have at the very, very center of your brain something called the amygdala that's always on the lookout for threat. And he put it there to help keep you alive. And so when you're walking through the woods and you hear that crash come behind you, it's probably going to raise your amygdala a little bit. And like, oh, okay, what is that? I need to be in the alert for something that that's, uh, could cause me harm. And so when you look around and you see that it's a bear chasing you, coming up behind you, your amygdala is going to start going into high gear. And it's going to take all of the resources from your prefrontal cortex, which is right behind your forehead, that helps you think straight and logically. And it's going to say, you don't need to think straight right now. You just need to run very, very fast. Hmm. And so it's going to take all those resources, blood in particular, and shove it to the parts of the brain that need to get you ready for fight, flight, or freeze. And so you're going to bump into fight or flight. You're either going to turn around and face that charging bear and try and hold your own, or you're going to run very, very fast. If it's a bear, you're probably going to want to run. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's going to increase cortisol, adrenaline, uh, a whole uh, variety of, of hormones and neurotransmitters that help get you ready to keep you alive, to keep you safe. And so if you're running and you realize like, okay, I, this, this is, this is hopeless. This is pointless. I need to prepare for the worst. You eventually move into freeze, which is the last stage of it. And when you move there, you're kind of getting prepared for the worst. Yeah. Your body starts shutting down. Um, you actually, your pain tolerance raises 
and um, you start feeling helpless, trapped, shut down. You start numbing out, going somewhere else in your brain. So that's an extreme physical example. But the reality of it is this shows up in our day-to-day lives, too, on not so much a physical threat level, but an emotional threat level. And uh, whenever I hear people who are shut down, numbed out, or uh, are literally their bodies are preparing for the worst, that's one thing I I listened for. Are we really in the numb or the the freeze stage of the fight, flight, freeze cycle? Uh, Our bodies were designed to do that, but not forever and not Mm. for long periods of time. And so when you live in that, that's where a lot of those negative physical symptoms I talked about start showing up. What do you define as a long period of time? What do you mean by that? Like weeks? Yeah, certainly weeks. Um, But I know some people who this has been their experience for months or years. They've lived Mm -hmm. at this elevated state because of Mm -hmm. some very difficult circumstances. And that really does start wearing on your body. Yeah. So where where does the medication comes in? which is uh, when that cycle tends to get, uh, the more you, you live in that, you form neural networks around that, and it tends to be activated much more quickly. And your body has a very hard time feeling safe. And so whenever that's been the norm for long enough or uh, it's severe enough, it definitely, I think, is appropriate to reach out for a medical intervention. And what that does is it basically helps uh, your brain feel safe. And so it disrupts that anxiety loop that gets stuck. And especially around the activation of the amygdala and uh, moves you to a place of calm. Uh, not, not all of the uh, medications out there for anxiety are highly addictive. That's a uh, often misunderstood reality. Uh, and depending on dosage, it can be very mild. But for some folks, whenever the anxiety is severe enough that it moves beyond their capacity to cope at a um, just using some kind of therapeutic technique level, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then medication can be a very viable option. Interesting. And so, um, you know, a little bit off topic here, but, you know, and there's been the when I lived in Canada, of course, the. Topic of cannabis use, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, was was frequently mentioned, and, and different podcasters uh, have have mentioned, you know, uh, the the value of it and how they've it's helped them through um, some very difficult times. I was just um, I was just uh, uh, I'm working on a book project with a couple, and they're or together we're writing a book on dementia, and so they're providing a lot of the resources, but I'm, I'm uh, helping to formulate it. And mm-hmm. they mentioned that as, as well um, is, you know, so for the person watching, um, you know, like talk about cannabis use, is that something that has been helpful? And, um, you know, what, what are you, what's your take on that? Yeah. So the jury's still out on that one for me, because there also are some, some studies emerging that show the complications of mm-hmm. extended cannabis use. And so I would view it as, uh, unnecessary because there are so many other great options out there that have been proven not to have the side effects mm-hmm. that seem to be appearing with prolonged cannabis use. Um, could I be proven wrong in that in the long run? I'll let the studies speak to that one more than I than I will. But at, at least at this point in the journey, 
I think there might be some other more viable options that I would turn to first. What percentage would you say of people that struggle with anxiety, um, um, go, you know, need some form of medication? Is it pretty common or, or not? Yeah, I'd say it's fairly common. Anxiety uh, disorders are the primary reason people seek out some kind of mental health care. About 40 million Americans, I'm sorry, 18 million Americans that's, uh, uh, seek out or have some kind of struggle with, with anxiety. And I'd say a good percentage of those will end up on some kind of a uh, medication to help control the symptoms of anxiety. For the person listening or watching, and they kind of have a sense that they do struggle with anxiety. So let's just redefine that real quickly, maybe in just a a sentence or two. Um, How would you define anxiety? What does that look like? And and how is that different from just having, you know, some bad days? Yeah. Yeah. So anxiety is really concerned with helping you stay safe. And so whenever, uh, and again, remember, keep in mind that not all anxiety is bad. Anxiety, mm-hmm. if you know, if you have that bear chasing, yeah, yeah, you better have some anxiety to help keep you alive. It's more of whenever that anxiety starts causing you to become dysfunctional. Either you're over anxious, it's hard for you to be present in the moment, or you have some more severe symptoms like um, PTSD or uh, or panic attacks. So I think that has to be taken into account whenever we're talking about anxiety. Anxiety is most often described by its symptoms, which are elevated heart rate, tightness in the chest, higher blood pressure, racing uh, thoughts, and... Um, a lot of tension physically mm-hmm. in the body. This really interesting thing happens whenever you feel threatened, your body starts to tense up, your muscles will start to tense up, and then your brain, which has this great feedback loop with your body, notices, hey, your muscles are really tense, I need to be on high alert. And so it starts sucking all the resources out of the prefrontal cortex, shoving into the amygdala to help get you ready for fight, flight, or freeze, and then that cycle started. So I think we'll in a little bit, we'll get to some ways to disrupt that. But that's the reality of uh, anxiety and, and how it shows up in the body. Let's go into that right now. What, what are the ways that you would say uh, we can disrupt that? Sure. So back to the cause of it, safety. That's one of the most helpful things you can do to, to resolve anxiety is to answer the question, how can I feel safe right now? And uh, sometimes the answer to that is a little more elusive than, than you would think. Like if there are um, relational, if there's a lot of relational conflict, that's not just something you could snap your fingers and make it disappear. Mm-hmm. But it can look like, okay, what can I do to recognize that I've done everything within my power to resolve it? Remind yourself of that. Um, or recognize, hey, I'm actually taking on responsibility for something that's not mine to take responsibility for, and I need to let that responsibility go. That can be anxiety-reducing in and of itself. So let me talk about a few physical things, though, and this is some of the advice that I give most frequently. Your body has a really hard time running 90 miles an hour in the future, which is kind of stuck in that anxiety loop, and staying hyper-focused on the here and now. Uh, 
specifically what your senses are taking in. So what are you seeing, tasting, hearing, smelling, touching? So one thing I encourage people to do, especially when they are uh, feeling anxious, is to find someplace quiet, someplace safe, and taking five to 10 minutes to only focus on what they're taking in through their senses. And that can be really hard to do because your brain's gonna mm-hmm. wanna spin and it's gonna wanna right. run ahead and think through. So there's a little bit of that that's gonna be this continual, and I would encourage gentle, pulling back into this moment, focusing mm-hmm. on the here and now and only on what you're bringing in through your senses. Another thing is to uh, exhale longer than you inhale. And so you do a short, quick intake of breath through the nose and a long, slow exhale through the mouth. No, I've and heard you, that before. Why is that? So, you know, I practice it too, but I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is some neurobiology to it that honestly is over my head, but kind of like you, I see the practicality of it. I practice it and it works. <laughs> it's just freezing so, up my nose though. It's like, ugh, it's, it's yeah, cold. So exactly. that's why I don't practice it as often as I should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a really great way to help your body feel safe. Um, when you t- at le- oh, go ahead. Let's say at least in part of it is you're increasing the oxygen flow to your brain. Mm. And that can be a really useful thing. We talk about meditation. Here's what's interesting when I've heard from some counselors, and um, certainly secular counselors, I think, would... um, I I don't know what you think. I'm curious to get your take. What's your take on, like, subjects like mindfulness? And I'll I'll talk to some some counselors where they will... um, basically adapt in uh, more of a Buddhist mentality where you're, you know, emptying your mind. And um, so I know a lot of that is out there and a lot of people maybe that are listening or watching have received some of that advice. Mm-hmm. What do you say as a, from a Christian perspective, is some of that good? How, how should a Christian practice the word mindfulness if you're mm-hmm. even comfortable with that word? Sure. So I am comfortable with that word, but it also comes down to how you define it and understand it. So uh, back to what we talked about at the very beginning, I'm looking for things that are complementary to what I see in Scripture, not contradictory. And the church has practiced meditation for thousands of years. So that's not necessarily anything new. Uh, Contemplation has been a huge part of the, the Christian faith. What the distinction I tend to draw is, am I emptying my mind or am I focusing my mind? I'm not a big, a big fan of emptying my mind. Um, I think that does tend to lead you more into, uh, some, some practices that I'm just not comfortable with. What does that look like for someone to empty their mind from when, when a counselor would say, Hey, yeah to do exactly that, what do they mean by that? What does that look like in practice? How would they, what are they saying? Um, it's kind of hard to describe because it's more of an experience than yeah. kind of a factual thing. Mm-hmm. But the experience of it is you move into a just deep void of nothing, absolute mm-hmm. nothingness. And so uh, there's been some really interesting studies done on that, but also some just good anecdotal evidence that shows how uh, unsettling it can be to move into those spaces at times. Mm-hmm. And so, which is the opposite of what is, what it's purporting. 
So I, I struggle with that a little bit. And that's not something I feel comfortable going myself or, or leading the folks that come into my office into. But I have. Yeah, I, seen... I remember I, I went to a Christian counselor one time and he handed you know, one of the first things he did was handed me a book on mindfulness. And I got home and I read it and it was, you know, essentially exactly what you described. And I was like, you know, I want to listen, but man, you're, you're making it a little bit tough because this feels like <laughs> this goes against my, my values, right? Um, sure. And it's, it's interesting that you say that. Um, what, what would you say from the Christian perspective of mindfulness? What does that look like? Yeah. So back to that focusing piece is focusing very intently on the here and now and on Christ. And so when you're focusing on the here and now, you're focusing on the reality of the present, the truth of the present. And so back to the whole truth piece, we're not we're not fearing that. You're focusing most on the one I use probably, uh, or at least very frequently, is focusing on what your body is is telling you. So, for example, anxiety tends to show up in the body, and so are, are your muscles tense? Okay, mm-hmm. what is that telling you? Uh, is it hard for your thoughts to stay grounded and focused? Right? What is that? What is that telling you? Um, I sometimes do something called and. I hesitate to use it because there's a lot of different varieties, but I use a specific one called a body scan. And when you're doing that, you're intentionally focusing from the top of your head, to the bottom of your feet on what physical sensations are coming up for you. And when you're doing that, you're disrupting that anxiety feedback loop that's got stuck in your brain uh, or stuck in the on position is probably the better way to say it. Mm-hmm. And moving you down into, I like to use the term window of tolerance into a sense of calm and you're, and you're, you're functional in that space. So uh, the more the, the faith piece of it, when you are intentionally focusing on um, what is it like for you to breathe grace into your life? And what's it like for you to dwell very intently on the goodness of God? That's a form of mindfulness, too. Mm. When you're solely, deeply, profoundly focusing on that. Uh, That does have the capacity to change. um, uh, Well, uh, I won't go too far down this path, but there's something called heart rate variability. And so whenever you have very positive experiences or positive emotions, the the peaks of the heart rate look like kind of rolling hills hmm. and whenever uh whenever you have very anxious angry forceful emotions they tend to look like jagged peaks up and down and they're not consistent and so it's been really fascinating to watch that as you focus on things like the goodness of god or grace it moves you to that nice even rolling hill heart rate variability which is good for your body and your brain. Interesting. Yeah. See, some people might listen to this and they're like, ah, oh, that's not that interesting. It's kind of, but man, it actually is really fascinating. And anxiety hasn't been something that, that's been a huge struggle for me personally. But man, mm-hmm. like if, I, if I'm listening to that and um, certainly like, uh, you know, I've known a number of friends who have, um, that that's so encouraging to hear, I think, that mm-hmm. like, the the very message of the gospel right is can hit us at some of our deepest points of pain mm. and Absolutely. there's ju- there's just something so beautiful about that that, that I, I love that picture um yes you know 
well, let's get back to this. Let's, or not get back to this, but let's shift to this. What if it's not you, right? Well, what if someone close to you is struggling with anxiety? Let's take a spouse, family member, friend, um, and you care about them. And it's it's obvious to you that they they are. And I think it's if they were to be honest with themselves, it's you know they would probably say, okay, yeah, I've got some challenges here, but they don't want to get help. They don't want to mm-hmm. seek counseling. And you're kind of at that position where you just want to drag them to a counselor's office. You want to take them to a doctor, and you want to do all these things for them. But you know, okay, that's probably not the best route to go. But you're kind of yeah. stuck. You're like, man, I know we have to do something because it's impacting my life as well. It's impacting our family's life. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're in that position? Yeah. First of all, I acknowledge that it can be really, really tough to know how to handle that that dynamic when you see mm-hmm. it, but they don't. So a couple of, of rules of thumb that may be useful here. And back to that partnering versus responsibility piece. You have you can partner, you can come alongside them and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. Um, I care about you. I really want you to succeed. Uh, what can we do? How can I help logistically? How can I help mm-hmm. financially to make this a possibility? You can't force healing. You can't force them to uh, even just inculcate good information about how to deal with this, but you can provide opportunity. Now, I'll throw in a, a caveat there, and this is when it comes down to like a safety piece. If their anxiety is pushing them to the point where they're becoming physically unsafe for themselves or others, then you increase uh, the level of intervention to make sure that they're going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where maybe the language does become more forceful. Like, hey, you really need to seek out help here because I just don't feel like uh, I'm safe coming into the house or I'm afraid what I'm going to find when I get home, things like that. Then you increase the level of intervention. And that can okay. look like, uh, I don't really like the term ultim- ultimatums, but saying, hey, if we're going to be in this relationship, I need to feel safe. I know that our kids are safe. So here's something that's really going to have to happen. Um, that's not the first go-to, but that's something that when safety is on the line, you got to do what it's what's necessary to keep everybody healthy. Yeah, it makes sense because you have a responsibility right to your kids as well. And, and it's, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that's and there's a whole kind of spectrum of level of intervention there. So you're going to start off with someone with just pointing out what you're noticing. And then it can go all the way up to being very directly involved um, to help keep people safe. That's fascinating. It's it's it makes a lot of sense, and it's it's a terrible position to be in. It really is mm-hmm. for for the person that's in that position. And I sure. say for people that are have a spouse or family member, close friend that's struggling with severe anxiety, and that's impacting them. That's a very it's a hard position to be in, and. Like I would encourage, you know, just my, my two cents is like if you know someone who's struggling with a depression or anxiety, like pray for them, yes, but man, like lift up their spouse, especially in prayer. Like yes. if, if they have one, pray for them, like because they they need that special grace as well. Um, Absolutely. About, you know, just kind of as we draw this to a close. By the way, again, if you have any questions, leave them online. I know this is kind of a sensitive topic, so it's probably not the the top mm-hmm. one that. Most people are comfortable leaving a question with, but um, if you have one, I'd love to. I'd love to see it and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about pastors and churches. 
Mm -hmm. uh, people that communicate from the platform on a regular basis. What, what are better ways that we can communicate uh, to those that are struggling with anxiety? What are better ways that we can talk about anxiety? And then we'll talk about how to maybe put stuff into practice throughout the sure. week as well later on. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll go here, I guess, carefully, mm -hmm. but in, in some circles, anxiety is so demonized that the person would feel uncomfortable acknowledging that they even have anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, well, just stop your sinning, you know, get over it because you're going to be judged by God. Do you run you into that a lot? Some, yeah, yeah. yeah. For some wow. sub circles, I really do. Wow. Uh, so I, I have a term and I use it carefully because it can be often misunderstood, but a term called the spiritual bypass which is assigning a strictly spiritual solution to a non-strictly spiritual problem. And so I think we are created as holistic beings. And so the, the body affects uh, the emotions. The emotions tie in with spirituality. Spirituality, mm -hmm. of course, has a huge impact on, on everything in our lives and is kind of, uh, I would say, one of the, the pinnacle pieces that makes us human. So whenever you're saying things like just pray more well if there is a a profound chemical imbalance in the brain that's keeping that anxiety loop in play then they also need to recognize that they're created in a very specific way by god and that those pieces have to be in place so it's similar to saying so someone diagnosed with let's say um a, a heart disease or cancer or something like that saying well just pray more and you're, you're going to be okay. Well, yeah, you certainly do pray and you go see your heart specialist mm -hmm. and you go see whatever the case may be mm -hmm. to help make sure that that's taken care of. And so it doesn't uh, diminish who we are as spiritual beings. It just acknowledges the reality that we're created as we have very physical bodies and we have mm -hmm. to take that into account too. Um, so that would be one caution out there out to pastors right, right. Just to recognize that just the just pray more mentality may not be the most helpful for your congregation mm -hmm. and it's not going to move them forward. Uh, the other piece is recognize that and partnering or something that partner that pastors uh, can be especially powerful coming from the pastor who is often that person in authority they look up to. And whenever they see that their pastor is noticing their pain, is offering to come alongside, is trying to help them figure out what they need to do to receive some, some healing and stability in the middle of this pain. Uh, it can be a really powerful uh, opportunity for healing, I guess, for, yeah. for the parishioner to have the pastor walk them through that. Well, I think there's something empowering by by someone looking at, you know, being able to say just, yeah, like, there's, sure, you have this issue, right? But we all have issues. And, and not, not normalizing it where it's just like, okay, get over it, but normalizing mm -hmm. it in the sense that, yeah, man, you are going through this, but you're not a defective person, right? Like, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're just as—in fact, you might be more qualified to lead this mm -hmm. ministry or help out here because of what you're going through, and you're still— serving God and still loving others. Like, yeah. like that's like, cause you're showing that faith on a regular basis. Right. Sure. Um, you know, 
I got so many questions here that, that, I, that I could get into, but um, why do you think anxiety levels are so high? What do you say to the argument that the people would say, um, I've heard this a time or two, not, not a ton, but sometimes people will say, we have like anxiety or they'll, they'll mention things like, you know, ADHD like that. Well, that wasn't around when I was a kid. And, and as though, as though, okay, our whole generation in certainly depression rates have, have, you know, gone up and, what would you say, number one, would you say there has been a rise in anxiety? And and if so, um, why do you think that's the case? And and how do you deal with that generation that just says, uh, well, I came out of, you know, yeah, a culture where we just toughed it out. We didn't talk about anxiety, didn't talk about all this stuff. We just, we just plowed through and we, and we lived. Yeah. And so you can do the same. What, what, what do you say to that? Well, I respect that. I do, mm-hmm. and, and I understand what that's about. Mm-hmm. Although, I think it's one thing, a couple things that have to be kept in mind. One, just because you're identifying it better now doesn't mean it didn't exist before. It just means you're doing a better job at identifying it. And, and this is kind of a both and piece for me. And do I think there are higher levels of it? Probably. But also look at the difference in the amount of information the average person takes in nowadays as opposed to 80 years ago. Think social media, think you turn on any TV and you're going to find straight into your living room every major national crisis from around the globe. And remember, your brain doesn't have this easy on and off switch for threat. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you're doing something that activates your amygdala, you're going to have that anxiety level rise. And so I know a... uh, a Christian psychiatrist who talks about this quite a bit. He says that really any any media content, this could be a movie, this could be a cartoon, this could be whatever that raises the threat level in your brain is going to eventually lead to some kind of difficulty or that anxiety loop because your brain doesn't have the ability to really distinguish easily between what is reality and what is being portrayed on a screen when you're really invested in that scene. Can I just question you on that? So, so like, are you saying, this is really interesting to me. So if you're saying, you, let's let's say, okay, I wake up, it's a Saturday morning, I flip on a channel and I turn on, say, uh, Fox News or CNN, and I see, um, you know, we just had the, the Beirut bombing, which is just uh, horrific, right? And then I yeah. go from that, and then I see a couple headlines, I open my phone and then i see okay yeah uh, then i get maybe a negative text message from someone are you saying like this all kind of like compounds on itself is that is that that how that works exactly it does yeah yeah and actually i just had this conversation with someone the other day and my i strongly encourage them to stop being as glued to the news as they were Mm -hmm. not because they needed to be uh disconnected from reality, but because being so highly connected to every nuance of the news that was coming out was actually increasing their anxiety level very dramatically and causing a lot of difficult life circumstances. Yeah, right. And again, the brain has a hard time distinguishing what it needs to be truly afraid of for itself in that moment and what, uh, what it's seen on the screen in that, yeah. in that moment. Yep. Last question for you. Um, how could the church do a better job, and the church just in general, right? And obviously your church, it seems like, uh, um, 
having you on stage and discussing anxiety. I mean, that's that's really a neat step that they took. Um, how, how can the church in general just do a better job of helping those who are struggling with anxiety, and not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week? What are the best things that we can do to be yeah. the church, I guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do like a couple of things come to mind for me. Talking about it, for one thing, rather than either having a, uh, a few uh, tropes that you just kind of throw out there as, as truth that seem to cover everything over rather than actually dig down into the healing thing process mm-hmm. that really needs to take place. So have a conversation that's open and honest and, and real about the struggle that people are facing in the pews. Um, avoid that spiritual bypass that I talked about earlier and stay grounded in the reality that we're created by a God who designed ways to keep us safe. And when that way gets, uh, this may be a strong word, but hijacked by the news or whatever else is going on around us, it's going to show up in some unhealthy ways. And, and how do we mm. do deal with that in ways that are, are healing and, and productive? Mm. Um, this is big, or, or maybe vague is probably the better word, but whenever I see Jesus in Scripture, um, the word that comes to mind for me consistently is nurture. He is profoundly nurturing. And so think about viewing this lens and the people in the pew through a lens of nurture. Mm. How, do, how do I truly nurture this person in a way that helps them feel safe, helps them feel seen, and when that is the lens that you're looking at this through, it's probably going to uh, dramatically impact how, uh, or at least the kinds of interventions that you look at there. This is, this is going to be the opposite of shaming them for their pain or their experience. The right. opposite of adding to their anxiety by disconnecting them. Like, hey, I can't, I just, I can't be around you right, right now. You know, I need to just come back when you get your issues fixed. You know, that's kind of the opposite of what really needs to happen there. Look at it through the lens of nurture. That's I love that imagery because it is so easy to do when someone's. It's easy to throw out the phrase, "Hey, I'm here for you if you need me," right? But but few people are going to pick up that phone to call because that's it's kind of like you you almost feel guilty. You're bad calling, and the problem is like if you're struggling with anxiety. On or depression on on a regular basis, I mean you're going to be calling a lot, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. but but to really walk alongside someone that that is just I think it's one like bearing people's burdens. I love the imagery uh, that you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, it's just man putting the gospel into practice, and I love yeah. that so much. So, man, Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time to come on. I, I appreciate it, and I hope yeah, this is a good absolutely. resource. And and if you're listening to this, um, man, pass it along to others. Uh, that might be struggling in this area. So thanks for coming on. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for taking some time to check this out. Really, really appreciate it. And hey, if you know someone who is struggling with anxiety, uh, pass this along to them. I hope it's helpful. Um, I thought especially the second half of our conversation is just really, really, there's some practical stuff that Ryan shared uh, that I thought was really, really interesting, especially from a Christian perspective. And so, anyways, pass it along if it it was helpful to you. Until next time, my name's Ezra Beyer. Thanks so much for listening. 
You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 